Our scripture reading for this afternoon comes from Matthew 12, verses 33 to 37. Let's turn there together. Matthew 12, verses 33 to 37. We're reading this today because today we'll be uh, considering the tongue and our words and how we can use them to God's glory. That's what our passage is about this afternoon. So this provides some helpful uh, additional information about that. Let's read together Matthew 12, verse 33 to 37. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. James 3, verses 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body setting on fire the entire course of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Thus far, our reading from Scripture. Brothers and sisters, have you ever heard the saying that our eyes are the windows to our soul? It's a pretty popular saying, and I think you can see why. It's because uh, no matter what people say to you, or what, how people act. Uh, often you, you can see if they're hiding something by looking at their eyes, right? 
So if you ask someone how their day has been, they might tell you that it was fine. But if you look into their eyes, you might see that's not the truth. That's not the case. And likewise, maybe you're talking to someone and and maybe they tell you that they're paying attention. But if you look into their eyes, you can see if they actually are paying attention or not. And and, and so the the eyes are valuable because when you look at someone else, you you can kind of get some deeper insight. You can, can get a window into their soul. Well, in this passage, James has kind of just told us something similar. Uh, James told us that the tongue, actually, is a very good window into our own souls. He tells us that our tongues can tell us a lot about who we really are, what's dwelling inside of us, in our hearts. And this actually fits very well into one of the major themes of James's letter. I don't know how familiar you are with the book of James. But James, throughout his letter, he explains to a long-time believers... That if they have true faith in Jesus Christ, then more and more they should see evidence of this faith in every aspect of their lives. It it should be transforming faith. And in this passage, he focuses on how how being a Christian, how how believing in Jesus Christ as our Savior, how it should transform the way that you use your words. And so we'll study this portion of God's word under the following theme. We need God to tame our tongues. And we'll see, we need God to tame our tongues, first of all, because our tongues are powerful. Secondly, because our tongues are destructive and untamable, at least on our own. And thirdly, because our tongues speak from our hearts. So first of all, let's consider the fact that our tongues are powerful. And you can especially see this in the first five verses of our text. But what you might have noticed is, if you look at the very first verse of our text, James doesn't actually begin by directly talking about the tongue at all. Instead, he begins by saying, Not many of you should become teachers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So you need to ask yourselves, why does he begin with this warning? And this is James's way of introducing the topic of the tongue, the tongue, how powerful it is, and how hard it is, how impossible it is for any man to control on his own. And so James says in our passage right at the beginning, We all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So there are a couple important things to mention, to notice already in that statement. And so first of all, James says, we all sin in what we say, whether we recognize it or not. And so he's pushing against, or he's uh, encouraging people to not push to become teachers Because, of course, teachers, they speak more. They're given a literal platform to speak on. And they can speak a lot more words, and often their words are given more weight. And so he's warning, if none of us can tame our tongues perfectly, then don't hurry to become a teacher to get more influence or whatever the people in his congregation were thinking. And so James also reveals in this statement uh, why he's focusing on the tongue. And it's a really remarkable thing. He, he suggests that the tongue is the most difficult part of the body to control. Have you ever thought about that? That's what James seems to be saying here. He says that if, he, if you're able to bridle your tongue, then you're a perfect man because then you can do everything else as well. Perfect man or a perfect woman, of course. He's speaking to all of us here. But the other thing that's really important to note here 
is that James, and this is very likely James, the brother of Jesus, the pillar of the church, James uses the first person here. He says, we all stumble in many ways with our tongue. None of us can control it. And so James is saying everyone, even and especially church leaders, but every one of us should really pay attention to our tongues. Because if we're living our lives not giving thought about it, then we're probably causing all sorts of harm with it because none of us have a tight rein on it. And so then James, after giving this introductory statement, he moves on. And he does so, first of all, by giving two illustrations to explain just how powerful the tongue is. So first of all, James compares our tongues to the bit in the mouth of a horse. And as you might know, I'm not from around here. I don't know how often you see horses. I'm from downtown Hamilton. I don't see horses a lot. <laughs> but uh, we did uh, a few years ago in Hamilton. Uh, they got a mounted police unit. And so sometimes when I would go downtown, uh, I, w- I would see some of these police horses. And the first thing you notice the first time you see them is that these horses are massive. They're, they're monstrous. My, my head, I'm not that tall, but my head doesn't reach to their back. Their heads are, are very high in the air. I looked up how much they weigh. They can weigh as much as a car. And, and it's all muscle, these huge beasts. And James wants us to think of horses, these mighty horses, and how they're controlled by these tiny pieces of metal. He says that is how powerful our tongues are uh, relative to their size. And then James goes on, he uses a second illustration. He compares our tongue to a a ship's rudder. So again, maybe you've seen some huge ships. And these ships, they're, they're driven by the waves and by powerful winds. But James wants us to realize that even the biggest ship, it's steered by relatively a tiny piece of metal, just a small rudder. And so what James is saying is, is don't think the rudder isn't important and don't think the bit isn't important just because it's so small. And likewise, James says in verse 5, the tongue is a small part of the body, but don't, don't let that fool you because the tongue makes great boasts. And often when we think of the word boast, uh, we, we probably think of something negative, right? And that's fair. Often boasting has negative connotations. But, but that's not what James is saying here. Because James isn't saying that the tongue is a bad thing, right? When used properly, the tongue is a wonderful gift from God. I was surprised to think about this when I worked on this passage. You often don't think about what a wonderful tool God has given us through, through words and through language. So just think about it with me for a moment. With your tongue, think about what a blessing it is. With, with your words, you get to know people. You can meet someone. With, with your tongues, you can form friendships, deep, lifelong friendships. With your words, you can fall in love with someone and decide you want to spend the rest of your life with them. With, with your words, you exchange information With your words, you teach people and you ask questions. You learn from people. With your tongues, you make plans. Make plans maybe to meet up with your family after church if there's not a global pandemic. Maybe if there is. Uh, You make plans to grow your company. You make plans to build cities. With your words, you come together and you, you sing praises to our God. 
the one who created us. That can be such a powerful experience, using our tongue to sing praise. But not, not, not also, or not even just to sing praise, right? In difficult times of your life, you can use your, your words to cry out to God for help. And so, in these ways, the tongues are just wonderful gifts from God. And these things, they can be used for good or for evil, right? So Jesus, of course, he's the perfect example of how you can use your tongue for great good, even in this fallen world. So, so think about it. Throughout the Gospels, they're full of stories of primarily Jesus speaking. He, he uses his, his words to, to bring good news to the poor, to, to preach the Gospel, that he came to save sinners. And it wasn't just Jesus, but he taught his disciples to do the same thing. He ordained the, the words, the tongue, to be the means to save people through the gospel. But you can also think of times when Jesus used his words to rebuke people and to cor- correct people, like the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law who were using their words badly, right? They were using them to lead people astray, and God rebukes them mainly with his words. And so the tongue can be used uh, very, very actively in a great way. But actually, what's remarkable is one of the ways that we least are able to tame our tongues is knowing when we should speak and when we shouldn't speak. Isn't that true? And again, Jesus is the perfect example. When Jesus was put on a mock trial, when he was falsely accused, he held his tongue. It was the greatest injustice of all times. He held his tongue. And he did it so that he might die in our place and take the death that we deserve. And so again, Jesus shows us the perfect example of how the tongue can be used so effectively for good. But like any powerful gift from God, it it can be used for good or it can be used for evil. And again, we can see many examples throughout God's word or throughout any history textbook. You can think right back to the Garden of Eden. What does Satan use when he wants to lead Adam and Eve into sin? He uses his words. Likewise, what happened with Adam and Eve right after they fell into sin? They used their words to shift the blame, to blame the other one, right? And so in these ways, they can, our words can be used for great good or great evil. Uh, we can see this in biblical examples, but you can see this in life all around us, right? You can see it in history textbooks or in politics today. You can just see how how one person's words can have such a great effect, either for good or for evil. And so this alone should convince us that the tongue is powerful, but I, I don't think we need to focus on such abstract or such large events in order to be convinced that James is right here, that our tongues are powerful. Listen to these words from Proverbs 12, verse 18. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I'll say it again. The the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And, And I imagine that there are people here today, many of us, who can testify to the truth of this statement. Can you think back in your life to times when people's reckless words, it could be people that you love, people who love you, your parents, your teachers, your friends. Can you think of times when their 
reckless words pierced like swords. And this can hurt decades later. But likewise, can, can you think of uh, the other side of the equation? When the tongue of the wise brings healing, I hope that you can. You can think of times in your life when you were discouraged, when you were hurting, and, and a wise friend or colleague, when, when they spoke words of encouragement and comfort, when it brings so much healing. Because our tongues are so powerful, James is absolutely right. And so that, naturally, it leads to the question, because James, in this passage, he's not asking us so much to look at other people and how they use their tongues. He's asking us to look at ourselves and how we use our tongues. He wants us to use it as a window into our souls. And so that's the question. The tongue can be used for good or for evil, but how do we use it? But thankfully, we don't just have to answer this question for ourselves. Actually, James answers us for us, answers this question for us. But we might not like the answer. That, that leads us into our second point. Our tongues are destructive and untamable. That's what James tells us in this passage. If you look to verses 5b to 8. And he does so, first of all, by referencing yet another illustration. And if you remember the first two illustrations... Uh, First, we saw the tongue compared to a bit in the mouth of a horse, and then a ship's rudder. And and these are useful things, a a horse and a ship. These are great, powerful instruments. But now, James switches things a little bit. And instead, he compares our tongues to a spark or a small campfire that starts a roaring wildfire. And here in this part of Ontario, again, I don't know about Alora, but I imagine you're not that familiar with forest fires or wildfires. And so it's important for us to remember that James's first readers, they would have been intimately familiar with what just a small spark could do. You see, in ancient Israel, they had a very long dry season. And so they knew that just a small unkept fire, it could devastate towns. It could destroy their crops. And they knew the damage that could occur. And so for us who aren't as familiar with this, to see this vivid picture, it might help for us to look up or or recall pictures that we saw from the Australian wildfires or the the wildfires that are now being contained a little bit but have been roaring in California. And looking at pictures of how these beautiful green forests and these fields are absolutely destroyed and they can be started by just a tiny spark. Because that's what James wants us to picture here. For what our tongues can do, the damage they can cause. And and it's very important for us not to just to look at this this analogy of a a fire. It's a helpful picture. But James goes on to use some very strong language to vividly explain how destructive our tongues can be. If you look again at our passage, you'll see that James says that the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. He says that it stains the whole body. He says it sets the entire course of life on fire. And he says that it itself is set on fire by hell. And so it's helpful for us to take a minute to understand exactly what James is saying here. So first of all, that the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. Uh, As one theologian said, that that means that every sort of evil in the world finds an ally in an uncontrolled tongue. Just think about it for a moment. 
You can use your tongues to fall into or to encourage basically any type of evil practice you can imagine, can't you? I I made a small list of idolatry, worshipping things other than God, of adultery, uh, of murder, of of coveting, of pride. All these things can be started or or urged on, spurred on by the, the tongue. Any sort of evil that's already hidden inside of you can come out through the tongue and can be spread far and wide, even among different people. Next, James says that the tongue stains the whole body. And again, a theologian, he gives a helpful description for understanding what James is saying here. He says, imagine you stepped into an elevator. And imagine someone else steps in behind you. And before you even see them, you can tell that they just had a cigarette. Or that they just drank some alcohol. It's the first thing you notice. That as soon as you look at them, your perception of them is already changed by the fact that that was your first introduction to who they are. Likewise, James is saying that the tongue stains the whole body. What you say, what you hear someone else say, it can completely transform how you look at them. Even someone that you love and respect, someone close to you. Next, James says that the tongue sets the whole course of one's life on fire. And there are two senses in which we can understand this. He's talking about the life cycle here. So, so first of all, you can think of the, the broad picture of the life cycle. So you think from where, when you're very young, when you're first learning how to speak, to use your tongue. Very early on, your tongue can start starting fires. It, it can get you in trouble. Very early on, you start um, trying to see what you can get away with with your tongue, how you, how you can tell uh, lies or how you can twist the truth. And what James is saying here, the whole course of one's life is set on fire by the tongue because that doesn't go away, does it? Not, not when you're a teenager. Teenagers can get in t- trouble with their tongues. 20-year-olds, 30-year-olds, up till you're very old. At no point in your life does your tongue stop setting these fires. It's a lifelong struggle. So that's the big picture of the life cycle, but it might be even more helpful, more practical to think of uh, our tiny little life cycles, our everyday routines. So I don't know about you, for you, but for, certainly for me, I can see times in my day, my day-to-day life, when I am much more likely to use my tongue in an ungodly way. Maybe for you, it's right after you're woken up unexpectedly. Maybe it's before you have your coffee. Maybe it's when you're uh, late on your way to, to work or to church. You, you can lash out at the people you love. Maybe it's at work. Well, when you're at home, maybe you have a pretty good rain on your tongue, but at work it's a little bit different. Maybe it's when you get home from work and you're tired and you're frustrated. Or, or maybe it's right before you go to bed. Throughout our little life cycles, our, 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 our tongues are always there. And there are so many ways for us to sin with our tongues throughout the day. And then finally, and maybe most shockingly, James says that our tongue itself is set on fire by hell. And what that refers to is the fact that we often forget about how powerful our tongues are. We forget about how powerful our words are, but the devil does not forget. The devil seeks to use our tongues to cause problems for ourselves, to cause rifts in our families, 
but between our loved ones, to cause rifts in our church between God's people, and also to, to blaspheme God's name before unbelievers, doesn't he? He uses the tongue for all these things. And that, especially the, the relationship between members of the church, this should bring our minds back to the beginning of this passage, where James has this warning about, about becoming teachers or hurriedly becoming teachers. It's because the devil's looking for opportunities to use these tongues that we've all been blessed with to, to the harm of other people, especially in the body of believers. And so the tongue is very powerful, and in the hands of sinful people like us, we heard this morning about how we all have this blinding, devastating sin. And in the hands of sinners like us, our tongues are, can be very destructive, even when we don't realize it. So the, the natural next question that uh, we all should be asking ourselves is, what's the solution? And I think often um, our inclination is, is to think that we, we just need to try harder. We just need to tame our tongues, right? And, and that's a good inclination. It's a good inclination. We, we hear about this sin and we hate it. We recognize the damage it does between friends and family members in the church and we hate it. We want to control it. And so we just try harder ourselves to keep a rein on our tongue. But the truth is that we can't tame our tongues on our own. That's what James tells us very clearly in this passage. In in verse 7, that's where James says that every kind of animal can be and has been tamed by mankind. But we cannot tame the tongue. We can't tame it by ourselves. And it's really interesting that James uses this expression. Because in James' day... Uh, the fact that people could uh, tame all sorts of animals, it was a big point of pride. It's something that philosophers and poets and uh, scholars, uh, they, they would point to that fact and brag about it, about how awesome man was, how powerful mankind had become, that they could tame even ferocious animals. And, and, it, and it's true, human beings can tame all kinds of animals. You don't even always think about it. How many of you have dogs that you've tamed? Probably a, a large number of you. You don't even think about it. Likewise, you can go to uh, SeaWorld. You can go to the circus. You can see some of the greatest animals on God's earth. Whales trained to jump through hoops. You, you can see lions, ferocious beasts tamed by human beings to, to balance on balls and, and to jump around on two legs. Even elephants. And, and so it's true. We can... That we can tame these animals, all kinds of animals. But James says you shouldn't be proud. Because while you can tame these great animals, you can't even tame your tongue. This small part of your body. And again, in order to understand James's letter, we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to realize that he's talking about each one of us. We can't tame our tongues. And if we're being honest with ourselves, I hope we can start to think of some examples in our lives where we can see that this is true. He's right. I certainly can see it in, in my life. I can think of examples of times when sometimes, even before the words completely cross my lips, I regret saying them. I don't even know why I would say it. Sometimes, often I would say, that you say things that are hurtful and just unloving and unchristlike to the people that you love the most. It's just bizarre, but it's because we cannot tame our tongues. How many of us 
maybe less often during COVID, but while we're getting ready for a church, while we're getting ready to go praise our God uh, with our tongues and with our hearts, how often do we say something rude or denigrating even to our own family members? How often do, do we leave church, maybe, and as soon as you're in the comfort of your own car, maybe you start making unloving, cover, uh, unloving comments even about other people in the church, let alone the comments that we make towards people outside of the church at times. And as I was studying this passage and just thinking about our inability to tame our tongues, I actually came across a story of a well-known pastor and he, he shared his own story about when he was studying this passage. And he had a time when he was looking at this passage that that week, uh, he had a conference to go to, and it was very important to him. He really wanted to be on time for this conference, but, but he knew his wife pretty well. And his wife had a tendency to run on the later side of things. And so the minister said, that as it came time when uh, they would be leaving soon, uh, then he mentioned to his wife several times, he said, you should start getting ready. Like, don't you think you should start getting ready? Don't you think you should help our kids get ready? Because you know it's important to me. I want to be on time. And then it got to the point where it was time to leave, and they were likely going to be late. The minister's outside with some of their older children, and they're waiting and his wife's inside frantically getting ready and by herself trying to get the, the youngest child ready as well, their nine-year-old son. And what this pastor said is that he went back inside. He went back inside and while his wife's frantically trying to get ready, he starts saying, essentially, I told you so. Saying, how could you do this to me? You knew I wanted to be on time. What, what were you thinking? And he didn't say exactly what he said. But he said he didn't stop saying it until his nine-year-old son said, Dad, what are you doing? Dad, you were right. Why are you talking to mom like this? What are you gaining from this? And that's when the reality of this passage came to light for that pastor. We cannot tame our tongues. And if you're, you're being honest with yourself, if you're thinking about this, I hope you can think of a few examples for your own life where it's very evident you can't control your tongue. But what's very important for us to recognize is that if we can think of a couple examples, that is just a drop in the bucket, isn't it? Imagine for a moment if someone printed off a transcript of every idle word, of every word you've ever spoken. And for the purpose of this exercise, it doesn't just have to be words that you've spoken, does it? It can be words that you wish that you've said, you've thought about saying. It can be words that you've texted or you've emailed about other people to other people. If someone printed off that transcript, would you dare to look at it? I wouldn't want to see that transcript of my words and my thoughts. I wouldn't want that clear of a picture into my own soul. And how sinful it is in there. And the mind-blowing thing is, I, I wouldn't want God to see that transcript. I don't want him to look at that. But of course, he knows. He knows every word we speak. But if you think about that, you can think about what a clear picture of our hearts we could get 
from such a transcript. And that, that's what James is talking about here. Our tongues give us a window into our souls. And so the question that we ask is, why can't we control our tongues? And James gives us the answer to that too. And in some ways, it's a terrifying answer. It's an answer we don't want to hear. It's because our tongues speak from our hearts. That's what we read in Matthew chapter 12, isn't it? There we read Jesus' words. Jesus says, it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. And this is very important for us to remember. Because so often, at least for myself, you like to think that the times where you don't control your words well, you, you don't use your words well, you like to think of them as an aberration. You like to think, oh, well, that's not really who I am. Uh, overall, I'm a pretty nice guy. Uh, so, so you come up with excuses, right? You say, oh, yeah, I, I said that thing, but you have to understand, I was really hungry at the time. Or, or I said those words, but I was tired. Or, or, but do you know how annoying that person was being? And so we come up with these excuses, and we're like, no, that's not really me, but that's not what... Matthew 12 says, that's not what Jesus says. He says in some ways that's the truest picture into your heart. Likewise, that's what James is saying here as well. He's saying that our tongues speak from our hearts. And what's interesting is when we look at this, in many ways it shocks us. It shocks us that that's what's in our hearts. But on the other hand, we confess that we're all conceived and born in sin. We confess that we are totally depraved. But so often we lose sight of that fact. So in that way, when we get this picture into our soul, our, our inclination shouldn't be to cover it up. We, we should realize, yeah, that, that sin is there. That, that is who I am. But on the other hand, for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, those who confess what we heard this morning, that, that he came that he came to conquer sin, that, that, that he was suffered and, and he died on the cross and he rose again to free us for, from our sin. For those who believe in him, we can see why, why it hurts so much to see this sin come out of our mouths. And it's, it's because we're not just those sinful people anymore. That's the gospel. We believe that, that Jesus has freed us from our sin. We believe that our sins our sins that we struggle with every day, that they were paid in full, paid at a great, great cost. And so we we believe that that Jesus has freed us from our guilt, but not just freed us from our guilt, but freed us from slavery to sin, slavery to the devil. And this is why sin is so revolting to us, especially because Jesus, when he left, he, he didn't just leave us alone, did he? No, he sent us his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. Our, the Holy Spirit works faith in our hearts. It, it, it grafts us into Christ and, and it makes our desire not to be these sinful people anymore. The Holy Spirit, the, the, our faith, it makes our hearts desire to look like our Savior. We want to look like Jesus Christ. That, that picture we heard earlier of how he used his tongue to glorify God and he used it to love his neighbor. That's what we want more than anything. Uh, and, and there's this tension inside of us. And that's what James points to in verse 9. In verse 9, James says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father. And it's such a wonderful privilege to be able to do so. But, but then James says, With it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. 
Well, we curse, we, we denigrate, we, we, uh, we cut down uh, our family members, our fellow church members, and also people who aren't in the church. Other people who, who are still suffering under sin, the same sin that lives inside of us. And, and again, it's important to realize that James is speaking in the first person here. This is James. He, he's a church leader, the pillar of the, of the early church. And he says, with our tongues, we bless our Lord, and with it, we curse people. And, and James says, in what seems to be a huge understatement, this should not be. And it's so true, this should not be. If we love God with all our heart and soul and our mind, and if we, we come here to sing praises to Him and to glorify Him, then how can it be that even when we leave church, we start bickering with our families or we start cutting down people in our cars? It, this should not be. And James illustrates just how unnatural this is by asking, does, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Of course not. Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or can a grapevine produce figs? And the answer very obviously is no. And so what we see here is a picture of this tension going inside of us, us sinful people redeemed by Jesus Christ. And so what James is telling us here is to pay attention to what comes out of your mouth because so often we don't think. We don't think about our words. He's saying we should pay attention to this because it gives us an indication of what's going on inside of our hearts, inside of our our souls. And so, because we have faith in Jesus Christ and and we love Him and we grow in love for Him all the time, then then more and more the sins that come out of our mouths, they, they should seem repulsive and unnatural to us, but... Sometimes they come so easily to our lips, don't they? And when we do find lies and gossip and vulgarity and so many other things, pride, these things coming so easily to our lips, then we should call out to our Savior. We should call out to Jesus saying, Lord, first of all, forgive me and thank you that you paid for these sins as well. But not just thank you for paying for these, but Lord, please fix me. Lord, fill me with your spirit. Lord, make me notice when these words are coming to my mouth because I hate them. I, I, want, I don't want to be like a sinful person. I want to be like you. And, and so uh, when this happens, when, when you see these hurtful words, these unchristian words coming to your lip, then you can think right away of the, the words of Psalm 51, can't you? Psalm 51, create in me a pure heart. O God, and and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within me. And as we call out to God, asking him to tame our tongues and and, and to, to transform our hearts, we can do so with confidence. When we cry out to God and we say, Lord, I hate my sin, and Lord, I want to look like Jesus... We can do so with confidence because God reveals in his word the wonderful news that that that's his plan. He wants to make us, his church, a beautiful bride. And so we read in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18 that we are being transformed into his, we're being transformed into Jesus' likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. 
And, and so we, we have this. In Jesus Christ, we have this hope knowing that our sins have been paid for. And, and we have this hope looking forward to the time to come when our hearts will be scrubbed clean and we'll get to live with God and use our tongues as we were meant to, to, to praise God, to love God, to love our neighbors. But, but for now, we already have a present reality. We already have the wonderful blessing that we can begin to use our tongues for good the way God created it. By, by looking to Jesus, by depending on his strength, by asking God for the spirit that he might not let us speak reckless, harmful words but rather God-glorifying words and upbuilding words. And, and this is what we see throughout the New Testament, especially the letters to the churches. And, and so God is the one who does this work by, by turning us back more and more to Jesus. When, when we recognize our sin, there's only one thing we can do. We, we can't count on ourselves or in our own strength. Who of us could? I can't. And instead, we run to Jesus and we, we beg God for help uh, and we beg God to, to tame our tongues and tame our hearts by his strength and to transform us and save us from our sin. But we also confess that, that God uses ordinary means to do this extraordinary work, doesn't he? And, and, and so if we see, when we see these sins of the tongue in our lives, uh, then we can combat them by, by turning to God. By, by keeping the words of scripture on our lips. And that's been a great benefit for me, memorizing scripture. To be fair, I had to memorize it for seminary, but it would be a blessing for you as well if you have the opportunity. And, and not only that, but listening to Christian music, it, it pours the gospel right into your heart. And it makes you more and more conscious of your sin. It makes you more and more turn to Jesus. Because that's where our hope lies. That's where our strength lies. We bring only weakness to the table. But Jesus brings so much strength. His strength is made perfect in weakness. That's what we confess. That's what he tells us, isn't it? And then finally, and this is a really important, a really important feature, but a really important aspect, but it might be one of the most challenging aspects. The more we look to Jesus... And the more we are filled with love for him, and the more we, we want to live our lives for thankfulness for him, the more we want to recognize our sin, the more we hate it, and the more we become willing to confess our sins and our weaknesses to others. Because one of the challenges with this, with taming the tongue, is we don't even recognize the words we're saying. We don't recognize the effect that they have. We don't recognize what they tell others about us and, and what kind of an influence they have on, on even the name of Jesus. Because we go around calling ourselves Christians, and then these words that we use, they reflect on our Savior. And, and so, if you hate your sin, and you love Jesus, and you recognize your sin, then, then more and more you'll be willing to confide in other people. You'll ask them for help. You'll say, I genuinely want to be told when I'm sinning in this way. I want you to tell me when I'm gossiping. I want you to tell me if you think I'm lying, misrepresenting the truth. I want you to tell me I won't be offended. I want to confront my sin because I want to bring it before the cross. I want to bring it before Jesus. I want to confess the sin and I want God to ask me or I want to ask God to help me because I hate this sin and I don't want it in my life any longer. And we can have confidence. There's some real comfort at the end of this message as well. Because we can have confidence that if we do 
see this sin and confront it. And, and if we do truly desire to tame our tongues, then that means that God is already working to transform us, doesn't it? By nature, we're so sinful. If we, if we see this sin and we hate it, that means God is working a great work, a miracle inside of us. And that is a sign of fresh water coming out of a salty spring. A salty spring like me. That's the language that James uses, right? And so, in these ways, by keeping scripture on our lips and by confiding in one another and by, by, by crying out to God, we can, we can lean on God and trust in Him. Because though we know we can't tame our tongues on our own, we, we can't conquer our sin on our own, and we can't reach perfection in this life, but we know and that if we rely on him, there will be change. And you might not even notice it yourself, but your family members and others, they will notice the change. And then you'll get a great window into your soul, the, the marvelous work that God is working in you, that he's transforming you, that he's taming your tongue and transforming your heart. Amen.